Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Good morning, Highland. Before I start, I want to apologize real quick because I'm a little sniffly today, so if you hear any gunk in my voice, blame Eric. He probably got me sick. (laughs) But I'm so glad that you guys are here to join us this morning. And to all those that are online, I want to say good morning, and we're so glad that you're joining us. Today, we're going to be going through the story of Jesus' temptation. Eric has been going through the book of Mark, but the book of Mark doesn't really do the story justice. All it tells us in the book of Mark is that Jesus went to the wilderness and he was tempted. So to get the full picture of the story, we need to go to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And while we're reading, I want you guys to think about something. I want you to think about how Jesus is able to withstand this constant onslaught of temptation from Satan. As always, the scriptures that I will be reading will also be up on the screens behind me. Let's go ahead and get started. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So during my sermon on the 4th of July, my very first sermon, you guys gave me a standing ovation. And that is something that I really want to remind you that Eric has never gotten. (laughs) So Eric's sitting right there, and I want you to come up to him afterwards and tell him that I'm gunning for his job. (laughs) But you guys surrounded me with praise. You told me how proud of me that you were and how great it was to see a young person preaching the gospel. I got, a, I got several letters from some people here, and one of those letters was from Jeff Frizzell. And Jeff Frizzell told me in his letter that it was a very timely sermon for some of the people that were in the chapel service because they were going through a difficult time. And when I was writing that sermon, I was praying that I could at least reach one person, and that would be a cause for rejoicing. But based off of Jeff's letter, I know that so many more people were reached. And I'm so thankful for that. I thank God for that. I've known that I wanted to be a minister for a very long time. And, well, every so often there's these moments in my life that mark my calling. 
And the way you guys responded to me will forever live on as one of those marker stones that tells me I'm doing God's work. But when I was writing this sermon, I had some issues. I was struggling to find something that would strike a chord or something that would be as good as what I preached about on the 4th of July. I was judging my writing, trying to figure out how to do just as well. But I'm sure you guys can see that that's not the right way to do this. Ministry isn't about how well you can preach or the accolades that you get or how good your sermon is. It's about preaching the gospel. And so I talked to Eric about this, and he told me that he understood. He told me this is a very common thing for ministers to have to combat. You see, there's several different elements that are involved within ministry, and one of those elements is public. And that public element comes with a lot of pressure in a pulpit or a fancy table. And that's the element that you all get to see on a Sunday morning and that's recorded for the world to see afterwards. And even though I knew that that was just a small part of ministry, I was getting my identity wrapped up in performing well. And so after talking with Eric and doing some self-evaluation, I started writing this sermon. And I was writing this sermon, I was reminded of another time when I kind of got my wires crossed. So we're going to rewind a little bit and go a little bit and go back in my life to when I was in high school, which seems like forever ago. And in high school, I was a little bit of an athlete. I loved playing football and running track. Anytime I was able to line up in the backfield and get the ball and run for a touchdown or a first down, it was great. But track was my bread and butter. I ran the 110 hurdles and the 300 meter hurdles, and every time I got to lace up my spikes and it was on the starting line and heard the starter shoot his gun, oh man, I felt like I could conquer anything. I was on top of the world. In middle school, we found out that I had some talent for those events, and my coach, after one of my races, came up to me and he said, Aaron, you are a hurdler. And after that, I continued to win races and place well. I even had the opportunity to be coached by an ex-Olympian as well as a world-renowned hurdling coach and a father who came up with some of the most unorthodox workouts you could ever think of, like pushing a car up a hill. But track dominated my life. Every time that I was able to drop my time by a tenth of a second or every time I won a race, my ego skyrocketed. People told me I was the guy who was fast. And I took every single one of those words that they said and labeled myself with it. And so eventually, my dad had a conversation with me about quitting football. He told me, you're really good at track, so why don't you quit football so we minimize the risk of injury? And I really just couldn't bear the thought of losing something that boosted my ego. But I did do what he said, and I quit football for all of about three months before I went back and begged him to let me play again. And just let me paint a picture for you. When I played football, I was 155 pounds. I'm definitely not 155 pounds now, but I was small. And if you're struggling to see what that looks like, imagine Eric, because Eric weighs about 155 pounds. (laughs) 
And imagine Eric standing in the backfield with the ball or running towards a line of about five guys that weigh 300 pounds trying to take his head off. That's not a pretty sight in the slightest. And so during the very last play of our very last game of the season, I got the ball and I was met with a huge defensive lineman and I swear he looked at me and he said, hello. (laughs) And that hit that he gave me earned me my second grade three concussion. And obviously my dad was not too thrilled about that. So he strongly encouraged that I quit football again. I did what he asked me to and I went back to focus on track. And eventually that was taken away too. There was one afternoon where I was practicing hurdles and my back leg clipped a hurdle. I tumbled down and after that I started having horrible pains in my back. They kept me from running and they kept me from competing. Eventually, my athletic trainer called my coach and asked to speak with me. My coach gave me the phone and my athletic trainer was on the other side and his voice was calm but serious. And he said, Aaron, we think you may have seriously injured your back. You might have fractured something. And when an athlete hears that, they freak out because a back injury is nothing to sneeze at. And so that phone call led to about a dozen doctor's appointment, a back surgery, spinal injections, and then I eventually had to have the conversation with my coach about discontinuing competing. And in that moment, all those labels that I put all over myself were stripped away in an instant. I was lost. I was in pain. I had no idea who I was without those accolades. I had no idea who I was if I wasn't the guy who was fast. Now let's go back to Jesus real quick. Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days, for 40 nights. And Satan comes to him three times to tempt him. The first time Satan comes to Jesus, he says, hey man, like, I know you've been here for a long time. You're probably hungry and you're tired. You see this stone, if you really are the son of God, turn it into bread. And Jesus does the exact opposite of what I would do in that situation. And he denies Satan. He tells him, man shall not live on bread alone. And then the second time, Satan comes to Jesus to tempt him. He takes him to the highest temple. And he says, if you jump, scripture tells us that God will send angels and you will not hit your foot on a stone. But Jesus being much smarter than Satan and knowing scripture far better says, hey, it's also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the third time, Satan comes to Jesus. He says, okay, this has got to be tempting to you. All of these cities of the world. What minister wouldn't want to be able to have such a big platform in which to preach the gospel? That sounds pretty appetizing to me. But it came at a price. It was a price that Jesus was not willing to pay. And so Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall only worship the Lord your God. And so Jesus went through all of this, and now the question is how? At this point, Jesus was tired. He was sunburned, blistered, hungry, and thirsty. 
He was vulnerable. And being an RA, I know what vulnerability does to people. The majority of the time when we have to respond to something, it's late at night when people are tired after a long day of going to classes and then they have to study late into the night. That's when they make their worst decisions. They're vulnerable. As the saying goes, nothing good happens after midnight. But Jesus was in a far more vulnerable situation and he did not fall. And it makes me wonder, how was he able to do it? What did he do so well? And to figure that out, we have to turn back to chapter 3 of Matthew. And in chapter 3, we find the story of Jesus' baptism. After Jesus' baptism, he comes out of the water and we hear God saying, This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. In that moment, Jesus' identity was declared over him. God came to him and said, Jesus, you are my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you, and that is who you are. Because Jesus knew who he was, it reframes the entire temptation story. We know now that Jesus didn't fall into temptation because he was founded on the solid rock of God. That's where his identity was lying. He knew that Satan had absolutely nothing to offer him because he knew that God would provide. And we see that because after Satan leaves, God sends angels to care for him. There was nothing that Satan could offer him that Jesus truly needed. It was all just temptation. But Here's where the gospel really is. We are also children of God. We find that in Romans 14 and 15, Paul says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And when I hear that, it makes me realize something. Jesus is a son of God. I am a child of God. Therefore, I have the same access to the same provisions that Jesus had. And that lets me know that if I'm feeling temptation, I know that I don't need to fall into that, into that temptation because God is going to provide everything that I need, just like he did for Jesus. But after my sermon here a few weeks ago, I called my mom on my way home. And my mom made me cry in a good way. And she told me that it struck her that when I was telling the story of childbirth, that it struck her that no one else can say that I am their child. And she was so proud of that. And when she told me that it made me think of my identity within God, that I am a child of God and God is the only one that can say that about me. When I think of this, I'm reminded of a scripture in Psalm 139 and it goes like this. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. When I think of this, it reminds me of the unity that I have within God and my mother. My mom is a child of God, and therefore I am a child of her and also a child of God. And because of that, I have a desire to be in relationship with them because they both love me and I love them. But we get so distracted by the things of this world. Like I was distracted by track. Some other people might be distracted by their job or their hobbies. But those things will fade away in the end. Those things are just things that we do. It's not who we are. And God, just like any other loving parent, wants to care for us. Just like my mom did after I was taken away from all the sports that meant so much to me. She was there for me in those moments. Even though she was battling her own sicknesses, her health was not good at all in those moments. She cared for me. She did everything she could. She spent time with me. She took me places, drove me places. She did everything to make sure that I still had a smile on my face. She made sure that I was provided for. And when I think about that, it mirrors what God did for Jesus. Because after Satan left Jesus in the wilderness, God sent angels down to care for Jesus. Romans 8 continues on in verses 15, and 15 through 17 and says, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And to be an heir means that we are to be given something. And because we are co-heirs with Jesus, we get the same things that Jesus got. We get the same provision, we get the same love, and we get the same care. We have no need for anything else because God provides for us. And that reminds me of a story from Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and God, uh, Jesus tells a parable of two men. The first man builds a house on sand. And any of you that have built a sandcastle know that sandcastles aren't very sturdy. As soon as a wave comes through, your sandcastle's gone. So the first man builds his house on sand, and when the storms come, his house is wiped away. But the second man builds his house on stone, and when the storms of life come, his house stands firm. There's a very little-known country singer named George Strait. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he has a song called Oceanfront Property. And in this song, he says... Well, I've got oceanfront property in Arizona. From my front porch, I can see the sea. Well, I've got oceanfront property in Arizona. And if you'll buy that, I'll throw the Golden Gate in free. And so what George is saying right there is, there's a house, a beautiful house, on the shore of Arizona, where you can feel the sun, the breeze, and you can hear the waves crashing down. Oceanfront property 
in Arizona. There's a little bit of something wrong with that. I don't know if any of you guys have been to Arizona, but Arizona has no coastline. It is completely landlocked, surrounded by other states and bordered by Mexico on the south. This is a false promise, a temptation. Who wouldn't want to live in a beautiful place, but it's all just a ruse. And if we give ourselves up to these ruses and we go to somewhere, when we plant and we find our identity in a shore, a beautiful shore in Arizona, once the storms of life come, we'll realize that that was just a lie all along. It was a false promise. But if we're like the second man and we find ourselves planted firm on the rock of God, and as the song says, O rock eternal, O God of ages. If we find our identity planted firmly there, when the storms of life come, when temptation comes our way, we will not falter. The standing ovation you guys gave me on the 4th of July is something that will forever live on in my memory as a marker stone for my calling. And like I said, I will continually hold it over Eric's head that I was the first person to get a standing ovation here in the Life Center. And the staff has already been doing that, so I encourage you guys to do the same. But even when you guys were giving me so much praise and love, even when I was struggling to write this sermon, my identity wasn't found in any of that. I was being tempted by oceanfront property in Arizona. And it took me a little while to turn back and go back to the solid rock, my solid foundation. Track was just something I do. Preaching is just something I do. Going to work every day, the hobbies that we have, those are just things that we do and it's not who we are. Our identity is found in God and not in the things we do. Last week, Eric told a story of a man named Eric Little. And as the story goes, Eric ran in the Olympics, something that for a long time I really wanted to do. But that just wasn't in the cards for me. And as the story continues, Eric was supposed to run the 100-meter dash on a Sunday. But because of his conviction, because, because he didn't have his identity in track, he skipped it. And I find that so interesting. When you're on the world stage and you back out of something so big, that shows that he didn't find his identity in track. Track was just something he did. And so he went on to run the 400 meter dash and win that. And then right after the Olympics, he decided to go into the mission field where he served until 1945. There's a quote from Eric and the quote says, God made me fast, or excuse me. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And when I read that, it tells me that Eric knew that running was never about him. It was a gift that God gave him. Like I keep saying, it was just something he did 
It was not who he was. He wasn't tempted by the fanfare. He wasn't tempted by the accolades. He knew that his solid rock was God. And then he went on to do God's work and go on mission until his death in 1945. Now to wrap things up about my own identity, it took me a little while after I quit track to finally get myself planted firmly into who God said that I was. I struggled for a long time. But eventually, because I was refounded in my identity, I found ACU. And then ACU led me here. And I cannot tell you how thankful that I am that I was able to be here. My time here, even though it was so short, and even though I leave this next coming week, I'm so thankful that I got to spend time with all of you. You guys have made me feel loved and appreciated and cared for. You guys are blessed with an amazing preaching minister who does deserve a few standing ovations. Just don't do it too soon. I need to keep a leg up on him for a little while longer. But Eric has taught me so much. and I'm so thankful for him. And I don't know if any of you guys know Martha and Wayne Simpson, but they are the ones who let me stay in their house for the summer. And Wayne is the reason why I'm wearing this bow tie today. <laughs> the people that I've gotten to know here have really shown me who God is, and I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And I'm so, so thankful that God has brought me here. We serve a God that is worth celebrating. We serve a God that we can find our identity in. We serve a God that will provide for us when we're at our weakest. We serve a God that controls our entire being. And he deserves to be praised. As always, I want to leave you with this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's take communion together after I pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this amazing opportunity to be here at Highland Church of Christ. I want to thank you for every single one of these people here that has helped grow me, God. Lord, I want to also thank you for allowing us to Find our identity in you, God, because you tell us that we are beloved sons and daughters, and in us, you are well pleased. God, as we take this meal, I want to pray that you encourage us to remember all the things that you've done for us. In your son's name I pray, amen.